You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast today. It's great to have you listening. Listen, if you're enjoying these podcasts, it would mean the world to me if you could like and share them when we post them on Facebook. The more people listen, the more value we can bring to our industry. And today's guest is going to bring some value to this show. I know it. She is part of five generations of carnival operators, not only children, but grandchildren involved in their carnival operation. Their Midway has over 55 rides, as well as food concessions, which amaze and delight families at state and county fairs in the eastern United States. From Powers, Great American Midways, this is Miss Debbie Powers. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad you could be with us today. Thanks so much for taking the time to record with us. I want to jump right into it. How long has Powers Great American Midways been in operation? As far as Powers Great American Midways itself as, as a corporation, uh, this will be our 42nd season, but we've obviously had independent rides and food operations prior to that. So what does a typical season look like for Powers? Typically, we open mid-March and we close in early November. Where? where? Our, um, the East Coast up, we start in North Carolina. We work our way up Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, and then work our way down. So what are some of the fairs on that route? Well, we do a lot of North Carolina fairs. We do the North Carolina State Fair um, in Raleigh. We do, uh, let's see, five fairs in North Carolina. We do the New Hanover, um, well, the Cape Fair Fair and Expo, um, the Pitt County Fair, the Wayne County Fair, um, Cabarrus County Fair, they're all in North Carolina. Then we do the Montgomery County Fair in Gaithersburg, Maryland. We do the Dutchess County Fair in Rhinebeck, New York, and uh, the Big Butler Fair in Pennsylvania, um, the Fayette County Fair in Dunbar, Pennsylvania, the Great Allentown Fair in Allentown, PA, and, and a few smaller ones, and a lot of festivals too. Well, not a lot. Anymore. Man, you guys keep yourselves busy. How many, um, how many events would you say you guys do in a given year? Well, most of our events, um, years ago when we started out, everything was a week-long event. But as we've grown, um, my husband is, if the fair wasn't two weeks, he convinced them to be two weeks because, <laughs> you know, the logistics of moving is a real challenge. Um, Absolutely. It's very expensive and it's also challenging. So being two weeks really, and then if you get rain on a weekend, you always have another weekend to, to try to recoup some of your losses. So most of our locations are two weeks. I think that we have um, about 20 or 21 locations we do because some of them still are week long. That's fantastic. And boy, you're right about this industry. I've watched for years that you get rain that first Saturday and Sunday, you could be in real trouble for the entire event. So you just, you know, I've talked to so many concessionaires as an entertainer who's traveled all over the country performing for fairs. Their thing is always, if it's going to rain, let it be that Monday and Tuesday when the attendance is down anyway. Exactly. Yeah. It, sometimes when it's raining on a Monday and everybody's like, oh, it's raining. And I'm like, yeah, thank God it's Monday. Yeah. Not, not <laughs> so, Friday night or Saturday afternoon that chases people out and keeps them at home for sure. Yeah. Uh, listen, with uh, an operation that size with that many dates and, and that many rides, you certainly got to have a lot of employees. How many people do you typically employ that travel with the show? Versus how many local hands you have to hire in a given city? 
Um, the show itself. Now, this just includes my husband and I on the rides and I own some of the food. Um, we book on a lot of the food, which is mostly our family. Um, and then we book on all of our games. So for the ride end of it, we hire about 150 employees. And for my food operation, it's anywhere from 15 to 20. Of course, everything's relative to the location. When I play a bigger location, I have to call in more people or hire people on the spot. But the problem is nowadays you can't get those people anymore. Um, there used to be 200 people waiting in line to try to get a job even 10 years ago. And now it, there's like, it depends on the spot, of course, but um, one or two people, if any, if any. Now we play the, uh, the Raleigh State Fair and a lot of people come and work there. We typically hire about 40 to 50 extra people for that location. Sure. Um, you know, within our industry, when talking about employees, we all hear throughout the industry, whether it's through, you know, video content on Facebook or articles in IFE's magazine um, about H2B visas. And I spoke with Marla Calico from IFE earlier in the season about that program, but I'd like your take on it. How important is that H2B program to operations like yours? Well, I'm glad that Marla is talking about it because I've been talking to Marla for years about it and I'm really, she's really helping us um, push this agenda along because it, it totally affects our industry. Um, we need the H2B program. I can't begin to stress that enough. Um, it has eaten up so much of our coffers in the H in the OABA. Um, some people call it the OAH2BA, <laughs> which... <laughs> You know, it's funny, but it's not funny. We, we definitely need to get this problem fixed. Um, we're working very diligently. Um, we've gotten to know a lot of our congressmen and, and senators in D.C. Um, it's a grassroots effort. Everybody has to get involved. I've been fortunate enough to know my senator personally in, in the United States Senate and, um, and my congressman, but I've made concerted efforts to do that. Everyone needs to do that. They totally need to do that because they need to, they, they need to get the importance that this problem, this, it's a horrible problem. We cannot get employees. Number one, we're itinerant. We move every two weeks who, and we, for that matter, we leave our hometown and six months later we come back or, or more. And so people don't want to leave their families for that long. And sometimes we found out it doesn't really matter how much you pay people. They just don't want to live our kind of lifestyle. Sure. You have to be a special person that loves it. So consequently, we don't get a lot of American people, period. We're one of the few that has a pretty heavy staff of American people that has been with us for a whole lot of years. And we're very grateful. Um, we try to take care of our people, but you have to love it or forget it. You're, it's never going to work for you. So yeah. consequently, we go through a lot of Americans if we can even get Americans. That's why the H2B program is so, so, so vital to the survival of our industry. And, so and so let's clear that up because we hear on the news, we hear politicians and talking heads when it comes to visa programs like that. And the quote is always, they're taking American jobs. Can you clear this up? Are Americans pounding down your door at your various stops waiting to come work for the carnival industry only to lose that job to someone with an H2B visa or they're just the Americans are just not wanting those jobs? The Americans just aren't wanting their jobs. And when you hear that 
those fallacies. They are totally coming from someone extremely uneducated in the process and extremely uneducated in what's really going on in the real world out there. And it's not just my industry, it's a whole lot of industries affected. But the H2B process is extremely grueling. I mean, there's a lot of procedures that you need to go through and one of them being recruitment. And you have to recruit for a, 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 a relatively long number of days. And we never have anybody that's just wanting to get our job. One time I got somebody and I called him and I looked at his resume and I thought, now, why would this man want to travel with me? Wow, this is pretty amazing. He's going to be a really valuable asset to us. I called him up and he said, oh, sorry, I pushed the wrong button. <laughs> so no. there went him. But I mean, that's just that for four years now, other than that man, we've had no one apply when we've put out feelers for recruitment for this type of a job. So I'm not taking jobs from any American. I would, Americans are a lot, I can hire Americans for a lot less money than I can hire an H2B because the process is so expensive. Not that my H2B people are expensive. But they are a little bit more. You pay prevailing wage versus minimum wage. And, and they're worth it because they know, and even the Americans, they, they make the same money. We don't pay them any less. In fact, a lot of, you know, whatever. So the, th the process is if I didn't have the H2B um, pro um, program at all, my Americans would be a lot less money because I wouldn't have the expense of going through the grueling process of the H2B. Right. So when you hear people say, oh, they're just, you know, companies like that just want cheap labor, um, it'd be much, much cheaper for you to just get another 50 Americans, you know, 18 to 20 year old somethings, college kids to come out and do that than it is to go through the H2B visa program. It would be if they would stay and work. A lot of right. times they come, they think it's fun to work a week. They've had their share of the carnival and they realize, oh my gosh, this is tough work. It is. And then they, and then they quit. So- yeah. You know, and of course, the H2Bs, you know, they're really happy to be here. And there's a, a vast difference in their ability to want to stay and have the job. They feel grateful to have the job. Absolutely. And, you know, as an employer, that's an awful nice feeling that you are doing something good for them. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you guys, you and, and Corky, you obviously you have your dreams of what you with the business you want to build and the lifestyle you want to have. Nobody ever does it alone. It, you know, there's always going to be employees that you're working with. And when they're feeling like their work is worth something, when they feel rewarded and they feel like they really are part of the organization, their work gets better. Everything gets better for everybody. Amen. Um, and live, if that's H2B that you need to do it, then I say go for it. Right. We live by the concept, treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat people with respect, you'll get it back. You know? And that's how we lived our life. And that's just how it, it works. So <laughs> Americans are tough though, because we don't always get the cream of the crop. We tend to get a little less. Than sure. That. Well, and I think, um, you know, there's some words that come to mind, uh, maybe spoiled or entitled or even soft. Like we just, I, I think when, when you grow up in the majority of people in this nation grow up far better than, than anybody else in the world is living. And they don't really stop and, and check themselves and go, you know what, I'm really lucky. And maybe, um, you know, maybe change their attitude a little bit, but I can tell you this, having worked with so many of you guys out on the road from, you know, RCS to Reithofer, I think I'm, I probably have been at one of your fairs a time or two. Um, 
most of the staff that I work with that I see, you know, they're, they're clean, they're kind, they're courteous. They, they keep a clean midway. That's what our guests want. You know, moms are moms make those buying decisions. If you got a, a dirty midway operation, there's trash on the ground. Moms aren't coming back. And, and I find that most of our industry, it's not like it used to be, you know, you know, 30, 40 years ago um, where all of these carnivals had these reputations. These are really professional industries that, that you guys are running. So um, I applaud you for that. I'm curious, how did you get involved with, with being in the carnival industry? My grandparents did it with my aunt and uncle, well, my great aunt and uncle. And um, I just, from a little child was mesmerized by this industry. I have absolutely no clue what has drawn me except for God almighty. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't. I, um, my father didn't like the industry. It was my mother's parents and my mother's always loved it. She would have done it all her life, but my dad didn't like it. So um, she chose dental hygiene as her profession. And, um, but anyways, my dad wanted me to go to school. So I got my medical technology degree. I worked two years at a, at a pretty famous uh, cancer hospital in Buffalo, New York, Roswell Park. And I worked there about two years and I just felt like I was wasting eight hours of, of every day I was there. I just didn't like it at all. Hmm. You know, I tried it. I'm very glad I went to school. I'm very glad I did that, but I knew where my heart lied and it is in this industry to ask you what the captivating feature of it is. I would say all of it. I, I can't pinpoint anything specifically. There's a lot of, I love the traveling. I love the variety. I love all the, I just love the work itself. So I, I don't know. I really, and my husband loves it as well. So that of course makes it much easier for me and much more enjoyable as well. Sure. And I was reading on your website, um, Powers Midway really is a family affair. Not only do you in, in Cork, you run the operation, but you got multiple children and grandchildren involved also. Tell us about that. You know, my, my one son will say, well, this is the only option you gave me, but that's not <laughs> true. I always said, do whatever makes you happy. That's all I ever wanted for my children was for them to be happy. If you like the business, great. If you don't do something else. I'm all for it. My one son, Dean, the one you, he went to school for business and uh, graduated, married a girl who was not planning on being in the industry. He worked two years at a pretty good company, a very reputable, good company, but he didn't like it. He said, you know, I tried it, mom. I tried it for two years. I had to come back. And his wife said, well, you promised me a normal life. And he said, well, what's normal for you and what's normal for me? <laughs> you know, for him, the carnival business was normal. And he's been back ever since. And he runs my office and he does a fabulous job. So I'm sure his business degree has helped a little bit in certain things. But um, in any event, he's he absolutely likes it. And our other son, he just, I begged to go to school. My husband didn't want him to. And so he didn't go to school, but he him and his wife owned a big, beautiful home before he was 30 years old. I mean, he's worked hard out there. If you work hard, we are the true American dream. We started out young kids in the seventies. We were able to, you know, I always thought at that point, the government was, was helping me. I'm not sure you could do what we did then. Now, I don't think you could, but we we're the true American dream. Work hard, be focused on what you're doing, do it honestly, do it legally. 
and you're going to be a success story because yep. that's what America is. Yeah. Capitalism. It's wonderful. <laughs> it would just unlock us so that we can go make our money. That's I tell you what, exactly. this last year, um, man, the frustrations just because I, I don't know about anybody else. I feel like for the industry and the people that I've spoken with, we're very independent bunch. We don't, we, I don't, I don't need the government to give me a check. I want to go, I would rather go cut my teeth and work hard and make less than the government could give me. Amen. Um, but then it's mine. I, I earned it. Exactly. It's just been, um, it's been, it's been frustrating. It's time to get things unlocked and, and let us get going. And speaking of that, let's talk briefly about 2020. Um, when this episode airs, it's going to be officially one year into this crisis, <laughs> one year into 15 days to flatten the curve. Do you remember uh, what you were thinking last year when you heard Houston had canceled? Uh, actually, when I heard that that had happened, we were about to go on the road ourselves. And I felt absolutely horrible for my friends that play Houston. Um, they're all good friends, not everybody, but most of them that play there are very good friends, especially the RCS family. And my heart broke for them because I couldn't imagine losing such a huge location as that. But the reality is at the time, I probably never thought it was going to affect me in North Carolina, but I found out differently pretty quickly. We were open three days and our governor told us we had to close. Now, in our eternal optimistic attitude that my husband and I seem to have, we thought, oh, a couple of weeks, we'll be back on track. I even left my lemons in my concessions. I had no clue. I found about six weeks later, I said to one of the boys that works for me, you better go check those lemons. We're going to have a fruit fly colony in there. Because <laughs> I, I just it's gonna never- going to be something that, that smells in that trailer. <laughs> yeah. And then I, we just thought months. And then it just- ended up our entire season was canceled. Yeah. But I, almost, the, everyone, almost everyone we've spoken to thought when things started to fall off by March that, you know, maybe April and May would go, but by June, for sure, we'd be back at it. Exactly. We were just devastated. But my husband's, um, he's just a, he doesn't take no for an answer very well. Um, I learned that really quick in my marriage. Wow. <laughs> so, but anyways, he, he just pushes, 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 and he just decided he was going to go out. Um, we did the Delaware State Fair with Wade Shows. Frank's a good friend of ours, and we were grateful that he invited us to join him. And from there, we went on and did um, Northern Virginia. I'm trying to think, I guess, about 10 weeks up there. And uh, then we went to South Carolina and did a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, we didn't do well, but at least we were out doing what we love. And so you went, were able to run a handful of shows last year. I was able to run a handful, not nearly, you know, with like 12 to 15 rides. I think at one spot we could only fit 10 rides in. Sure. So of course we're very limited to the revenues we're going to make. And that was because of the, the physical distancing requirements that you had to spread everything out. Yeah. And we did every, we were doing way more to maintain this whole sanitization, you know, process than, any of the big box stores, any of the grocery stores. And we took temperatures. We gave everyone a mask that didn't have one. Uh, one of my guys chased a guy down the midway and I said, don't chase him. It's not the law. I can't yeah. make him wear his mask. Just let it go. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll leave soon. But 
you know, 99% of the people were very um, condoning wearing the masks. And of course, all of my employees had to wear a mask. We took temperatures of all of our employees every day, documented everything, um, you know, asked them how they feel. We had a whole health check thing. They, how do you feel? Have you had this? Have you had that? You know, and every day, I mean, they were like, they were, you know, aggravated, but they did it because we had to do it. We thought we had to do it. Sanitized all the rides all the time. Um, we had this special stuff we bought, sanitized all the balls on the games. We had hand sanitizers everywhere for people. So we we did what we had to do, uh, you know. We well, fenced in so nobody could just sneak in without getting their temperatures, without getting a mask. Everybody had to have their temp taken. Right. Right. And we're, you know, we just released, um, you know, today's February 23rd when we're recording this, we just released an episode from Danny Alfonso, who's down at the Manatee County Fair in Florida. I know all of us have been watching the Florida fairs very closely this spring and uh, winter and spring to see what's happening. And when we recorded with him, we recorded 13 days after their fair. And he was able to report that from the day they opened every single day up till that 13 days. And I'm assuming thereafter for a little bit, their Manatee County spread rate fell every single day. I'm convinced we can have safe fairs. Totally. This is, this isn't new to us. You know, we've, we've dealt with flus and pandemics and outbreaks and things before in the, ag, you know, animal agricultural industry. All we're doing is scaling what those responses were more sanitizer, maybe temperature checks, throw a mask on, stay a little bit further away from everybody else. If Disney world can open, if Walmart can be open nonstop through this whole thing, we can do it safely too. I'm convinced of it. Plus, we're an outside venue. This does not last in, in outside. I mean, UV hits it. It's dead in seconds with yeah. UV light hitting it. So let's not negate that fact either. That's an important part. We are an outside venue. Very, very important. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that through this whole thing, we know who this virus is, with rare exception, we know who this virus is hitting the worst. It's elderly, obese people that have, if they've got heart conditions, lung conditions, things like that. Isn't it funny? We've been told wear a mask, now wear two masks, stay inside, even though you need vitamin D. And I, not what I have one time heard Dr. Fauci be like, you know what, America, what would really help you if everybody lost 20 pounds? That would really help with this thing. He's not saying that. He's supposed to be the guy of like, uh, like the health guy. And he's not saying, hey, why don't we eat better? You know, why don't instead of eating the fair food every single day, why don't you make that an occasional treat and eat a salad? You know, exactly. Exactly. It's all people with comorbidities and it. it's just I mean, and now the CDC just came out with this figure that they said that about with all of the cases. And I just read this. All of the cases they've claimed as um deaths from COVID, they say about 6% are actually valid deaths from COVID. Or actually COVID only. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I had a friend that, that um, had COVID and he was getting better, but he had heart attack, but it was sure. marked COVID. Well, and there was that case that um, I mean, Fox, I think it was Fox 35 out of Orlando, that TV station down there busted the Florida department of health. Um, I forget the exact um, specifics, but there was a guy, I don't know, driving down I-4 or something who gets in a motorcycle crash. They swab him as he gets into the ER. He succumbs to his industry or his injuries and dies from the crash. And then his test came back positive and they were like, that's a COVID death. <laughs> I'm like, his spleen is splattered across the interstate. I'm pretty sure that had an impact on what was going on with him dying. I, I just- crazy. I, 
I don't, it's so tough to make make informed decisions when I don't feel like we've got informed numbers this entire time. Could there be more deaths or more cases than we realized because people just got sick before like, you know, November of, and December of, of 19 before it really hit and they actually had COVID? Yeah, but that just means you had more cases, which means your, uh, your actual fatality or it's probably lower than you realize. It's way lower. I, it's lower I than the deaths. I could, it's lower than the flu people that die from the flu. It's just crazy. Could be. Yeah, it could be. And I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist. I, I just feel like it seems like every other day, the CDC for a year has changed their mind on things. And, you know, I'm just like, Listen, I'll put my fortune machine that I do, I'll put plexiglass in the box so that I'm protected and separated from people. Can I go back and do the fair? That's all I want because these yeah. cancellations are killing uh, are killing entertainers for sure. I mean, it's our, our, our businesses are crushed. Yours is crushed. Talk for um, you know a couple minutes, if you will, not only on how a cancellation impacts your organization, but how it impacts the communities that you serve. Well, the... For one, the spots that we did do, which was on a tiny scale, everyone that came was more than happy that we were there. They profusely thanked us for being there. So now I can't even imagine once we're open how much how many crowds we're going to have because they're going to be so thrilled to be able to partake of something that they've done all their lives and the beautiful part about our industry is that it's a family affair you can come out as an infant all the way up to grandparents and older in wheelchairs if they want to and they can all have a good time that's we're one of the rare industries that actually allows that because there's so much diversity at a fair you know, like there's entertainers like you, there's, there's the animals, there's the rides, there's everybody eats food. <laughs> so it's yes. just such a diverse thing that um, I believe um, once we do get open, we are going to have huge crowds, huge crowds. I agree. I people are absolutely itching to get out and do, I, I, I put one of my funnel cake trailers down the road from where I live. And before I could even get my awnings up, I had cars stopping ordering funnel cakes I'm like, I'm <laughs> like i want a funnel cake come right back now. in an hour <laughs> yeah yeah no, I, I, I think we'll see a great turnaround i really do i, I it may will. be a few years because the the challenge is the first challenge is going to be getting open period um you know very all these different states you know marla calico was talking about how the north texas fair opened and west texas fair opened and they showed how you can actually mitigate this and and have a safe event and yet other states are saying, absolutely not. You can't open up or, or if you can't open, you can only have, you know, a hundred people per, uh, in a, in a building. Well, what if that building's 10,000 square feet? What if it's 50? What if it's 200,000 square? Like nothing makes sense state to state. So the first challenge is getting open. The second challenge I think is going to be getting the data and the metrics from those fairs to get an idea of, um, who's, who's willing to come. Because I do think there's a sizable portion of our fair-going population that may have just been completely, you know, wigged out mentally over what they've been told. I think they may just be scared to come back out. Um, it may be a few years before we see those numbers rebound, but when they do, man, by God, I'm with you. I think we're going to see record-shattering numbers when it finally happens. I think we're going to see record-shattering numbers sooner than you think. I, really, I hope so. I really I, hope so. I think that they're going to, with all the vaccines coming out and with the cases of COVID going down, 
the governors that do have these certain states closed are really going to have an issue fighting it anymore because the facts are the facts and they have yep. lied so much about all of this. You don't know what to believe, yep. but you know, for, for sure, they're not going to, the negative stuff's out there. If they give you positive stuff, you can take that to the bank because they're definitely not prone to do that. Right. So and I as, think as, them- as much as I dislike wearing a mask when I'm at, like, I go to the gym, I got to wear a mask and, you know, I'm huffing it on a treadmill and that mask just keeps sucking up on my nose and I can't take a deep breath. I mean, it's just so frustrating to wear a mask, but I'm telling you to anybody listening, as much as I hate that, if they would say all these States would say, you know what, you can have your events, practice your physical distancing and wear a mask, but you can open. I will, I'll put a mask on in my fortune box. I'll figure it out. I will do that. If that gets us back out on the road, because I don't know, Debbie, exactly how long this industry is going to last being shut down. I, I think for some of these fairs, um, people speak, you know, they talk on the show with a lot of uh, a positive outlook. And you know what? We can make it. We're going to do this. But a lot of them are telling me off the air after we're done recording, we can lose 20. If we lose 21, we're done. And that's, you're right. I think that's true of most carnivals as well and concessionaires that we can't take a hit like this. I mean, I've asked so many of my friends that aren't in the industry, what would you do if you didn't have an income for a year? How would you survive? And they're like, no paycheck, no nothing for one year. Now double it. Where do you think you'd be? You know, it's crazy. And they're like, oh my God, I can't, oh, my heart breaks for you guys. And I'm like, I'm not looking for that. I just want to get open. So what we're doing is going to our uh, fair associations, state to state, uh, with the help of OEBA and, um, get, you know, dealing with the, getting the states involved so that they go to their, the powers that be, whether it's the governor, the health department, whomever. And we're, you know, showing our mitigation processes and giving them the statistics that maybe they've seemed to neglect and proving that we can open, you know? Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. I think it's completely doable. Um, fair after fair has shown it. Um, mm-hmm. either through physical distancing, uh, wearing, wearing masks, making sure things are, are sanitized and people are, have access to, to, you know, clean, you know, hand-washing stations and sanitizer around the buildings. We can do this. The real question to me is going to be for organizations like yourself as a carnival operator or concessionaires, you know, what are the, what are rents going to continue to look like at fairs? What's their food costs going to be? Cause at the end of the day, if you, you tell a concessionaire, Hey, you know, if you made this much at hundred percent, we can only open to say 50%. Are, are they even able to make money or are they going to lose money going out on the road? So there's a lot of, of business and a lot of numbers. They got to crunch going into 21 to see what makes sense. What, what's your 21 looking like right now? We're, um, you know, we're ready to get open here pretty soon in states that allow us to open. And then once the states that we typically play, we're allowed to go back to, we'll just resume our route that way. Um, and we're very, very hopeful. I mean, people call Corky and I the eternal optimists, but it's better than the other way. I mean, to me, why be negative about it? It's not going to change anything or help. So we'd prefer to be optimistic, but um, I, w- I just had a really good point now. It's now it has escaped me, but <laughs> it's okay. um, typical, I guess I'm having a senior moment. Oh my. But- <laughs> but yeah. it's it's okay. I mean, you, I, I have oh. always found you guys to be optimistic, and now you've got your thought. You just you remembered I it. Did. Go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. 
what what I was going to say is you were talking about numbers and we're all going to have to work with our fairs, festivals, whatever the uh, committee might be um, to make the numbers work for both of us because it has to work for both of us. My husband said, we're like partners for the week. We're like a marriage for, for the two weeks or the location yep. we're at. And if two, both partners aren't happy, it's never going to function. It's never going to work. You know, it, it's, it's just, it, my dad always told me a good deal is, is a good deal only if two people are happy. If right. both parties are happy, a good deal isn't a good deal. If somebody gets, you know, messed up in the deal and somebody's real happy, that's not a good deal. Both yeah. parties have to be happy. So we have to work very diligently with our committees to and fair boards to, to make it happen for both of us. Yeah, I, I think at least for a while that, you know, the, the model that most of the fairs ran on in 2019 and, and entertainers and carnivals. And um, I, I think that model may get kind of put on the back burner for a few years while we navigate through this. And we're going to have to come up with something that temporarily looks a little different. Maybe you don't make as much money or the fair doesn't make as much money, but by God, we're out on the road and we're the train's still moving down the track. It, it's not doing anything sitting in the station. You know, we got to get going. Um, and that's going to take a lot of collaboration with all of our fairs and, and our industry service providers. Um, I understand speaking of the service providers and, and OABA and whatnot, you guys just wrapped up Florida week. Uh, how was that meeting? It was good. I thought I enjoyed it. Um, I was a little skeptical at first when they said they were going to run, but being the chair of OABA this year, I felt it my due diligence, obligation, whatever you want to call it, to go down and um, conduct my meeting. Um, I had a quorum and we had a bunch of caller IDs. So I was really impressed with that. Um, that, that uh, and we got a lot accomplished. Actually, <laughs> we didn't really give ourselves enough time because we had so, it just was crazy. So, um, we, we did what we could do. We talked a lot about, you know, the different states. Um, but I was very, I didn't go to the actual trade show except for twice. I had to do a presentation once and uh, which was very well attended considering that the attendance, I had heard that it was 50% down. Someone told me it was more than that, but I, I don't know those figures. I just know the meetings that I partook in that, um, that, that I thought they were pretty much on par, you know, down, of course, but not nearly like I thought we did our top golf for OEBA to help for our advocacy fundraising for H2B. Um, we did, we only plan on doing half and we actually exceeded what we thought. We had tremendous amount of extra donations for people that didn't attend, to which I'm very, very grateful. They realized the need, which is extreme. And, um, so I was just very, very happy with the outcome that we personally got with, with as far as OEBA goes. Um, I, I think that I talked to a couple of people that were um, displaying there and they said they did okay. Actually, a guy didn't think he'd sell a ride and he sold a ride. So typically they would sell more than one, I would hope, but he was pretty happy. So, I mean, yeah. I guess it's on an individual basis. Everybody, there's people probably that said it was horrible for them. And then there's other people that said they were glad they went. That's terrific. It must've been nice just to reconnect with so many friends in the industry again. That was probably the best part. That was definitely the best part. I know 
I, you know, I, the people were just talking up a storm at Top Golf. I, I was trying to get, I was trying to give a little talk and they were just talking so much. I said, oh, what the heck, let them have fun. They just want to connect again. They just want to just, it's, it is really, really good to see your friends. It's really, really good. So. I'm guessing that was kind of a mental health reprieve because I feel like I'm extroverted. I'm a major extrovert. I like getting out and visiting. When I go to conventions, I love seeing everybody and chatting. And when I go to fairs, I, you know, seeing different people's shows. And I've been locked in my house in Albuquerque, New Mexico for just about a year now. And I am so, I got out to one fair last year in Abilene. I'm so ready to get out and visit. So I'm glad that you had a nice time. That probably gave you guys more value than anything that you would have talked about in the meetings, just being able to reconnect. I totally agree with you. You know, I write my articles for, for the Showtime magazine, for the OABA. And one of the things, one of my articles was all about the need to be, to connect with human beings, the need to, to talk to each other, to relate to each other, to commiserate with each other, even just touch, you know, a hug, whether you believed you wanted to give a hug or you were nervous about the person receiving the hug, you know, you're like, you want an elbow or you want a hug, you know, I mean, (laughs) but, but that's so vital for the survival of human beings. So vital. So I totally agree with you. Actually, we, my husband and I have traveled a little bit, not as much probably as we should for our age, but as far as outside of the country and stuff but honestly our favorite trip is is gibsonton we just love going down there and it's really to see our friends nothing more than just to see our friends obviously we conduct business but it's really about friendship i feel this i feel the same way when i do florida fairs convention or ife you know is i i had steve siever on the show and i told him i said you know the last few years it's gotten to the point where when i go to the convention I leave and my wife, Sarah, she's like, so did you get anything booked? And I sit there and go, uh, <laughs> actually just kind of goofed <laughs> off for three days and visited everybody. And then of course, you know, I rarely entertainers rarely are really booking on the floor of the trade show. In most cases they're collecting, getting an idea. They're going back to their board, have their board meeting in January. And usually by the middle of February, then the contracts start rolling in. But yeah, that's what I do. I just, you know, I go, I, I'm going right. down in uh, in a couple weeks down to a f- couple fairs in Florida, not to perform myself, but to help another performer out. And just the concept of, of being on the road and traveling and driving down there. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that drive across the country. I like, that's part of why, part of the thing I love, one of the things I love in this industry is that I do get to travel. I get to see so many different places. Um, and I know it's got to be the same for you too. You know, every couple of weeks you're in a, in a new state and a new place. And it's, Definitely. it's one of the things that's magical about this industry. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. It's so had me captivated for over 50 years, probably more than 50, but we won't, we we'll won't just call it that. 50. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I know that um, from seeing some of the posts from uh, from other folks that were down at, at the Gibtown event that it, it looks like it was, it, even if attendance was down, that it was really successful that you guys were able to come together and um, it, it make some headway on, on you know, what mitigation strategies are going to look like and what your businesses are going to look like moving forward, which I think is fantastic. I'm curious, you and Cork, you've been at this a real long time. What is your favorite part about what you do? 
You know, that's a, a tough question because I don't know if I particularly have a favorite part. I just like it all. I mean, I guess probably because I have done it so long, the parts that I may not have liked in the beginning, I've just learned to accept. And my theory is if you got to do it, you have to do it. So just make it work for yourself and, and those around you. So to say I have a favorite part, I think my favorite part is all the people I've gotten to know in this industry. If that's a favorite part about it, um, I think the people that in this industry, be it entertainers, carnival owners, concessionaires, fair boards, they're all great people. We are in a wonderful industry full of wonderful people. And I am so grateful to be a part of it. So yep. if I had a favorite part, it'd be the people. Yep. That's a consistent answer. And frankly, it's mine also. That's one of the things that I've really enjoyed when I decided last fall to start this podcast up again and start chatting to folks about throughout the industry about what's happened. Initially, it was, we need to get these stories told. And it was, that was my way of contributing to the industry is getting all these from entertainers, concessionaires, write-ops, uh, fair managers, market, all the people are approaching this a little bit differently. And I thought if I can bring some value to the industry, terrific. But the side benefit for me is that I've been able to reconnect with a lot of my friends that I can't see right now because we're locked down. And I've been able to meet a lot of new people and have great conversations with new folks, just like yourself, um, where now when we bump into each other at IFE, um, it probably will be a, a handshake and a hug and a how are you, just because I'm really glad to have met so many people, especially the folks like you who just have such a positive, upbeat attitude. I know there's times uh, we, we had uh, Miranda Muir on the show recently, who is at the Elkhart County 4-H Fair, and, and she and I have been friends for a lot of years. And we were talking about just how rough this has been on our kids. And at one point she was like, okay, enough negativity on the show. I need more positive. Let's talk about the good parts about our industry. Right. And uh, it's easy to get dragged down into it, but it, we do have a great industry where great memories are made. Um, whether it's from somebody coming up and pressing the button on my silly little fortune machine attraction and getting a fortune card or they're on one of your rides flipping upside down and laughing and cackling the whole time. We do great things in this industry and we create great memories. Do you happen to have a, a memory that stands out above any of the others in all the years you've been doing this? I, I couldn't say, I, I mean, I have so many memories. I don't think I have a specific favorite one. Um, I, we'd start talking, you know, when we have guests at our home and stuff that aren't in the industry and we just talk a little bit about it because it's who we are. And they all say, you could write books. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could. probably could fill up a library with the different things. I mean, funny stories that have happened to us, things that we've done, things our employees have done, things people have said. Um, I'll never, we, when we've, we've been doing hand sanitizers with our food forever. And um, so my son-in-law had a hand sanitizer next to his popcorn trailer and somebody bought a box of popcorn and went over and put hand sanitizer on. And he thought it was butter. Oh no. <laughs> Thank God. My other son saw him and said, what, what are it? you doing? So that was, I mean, there's just so many funny stories like that. I, I just can't even, even pick one. It, there's just so many. Yeah. So many, so many great memories. Some not so great memories, but sure. mostly good memories. Mostly sure. good memories. I raised yeah. my children out there. I did homeschool, not from the very beginning, but 
most of their life, I've homeschooled them. Um, that was challenging while working. I was their boss, their mother, their teacher. Uh, that was challenging, yeah. but they came out okay. It can be tough I'm, when I'm, those roles get commingled, for sure. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, the, we have uh, entertainers. We do the same thing we, with the memories that, that we create. There was, you know, there was one year down at South Florida Fair, um, probably four years ago. Um, I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with Tizen. He's a hypnotist out of Canada. Um, he was living in Vegas for a while, but super great guy. He's mm-hmm. on the, he and I are sharing a dressing room um, backstage and he, he got this new clock to put on the side of his stage, a new timer clock, LED clock, so that he could keep track of his showtime a little bit better. And so I knew he'd be looking over at that side of the stage. So I took a, a Sharpie and a, a steno pad and I wrote in big letters, you suck on it. And I set it right next to the clock and he gets about, you know, six or eight minutes into the show and he looks out, he, he's, Oh, uh, you can tell he's distracted. He's like, who put the, nobody else in the audience can see it. It's off to the, uh, off on the, the wing of the stage, but I'm sitting at the back with the audio guys and, and the lighting guys and they knew, and we're all laughing. And after the show, he was like, who did this? And we're dying. He's like, I will get my payback. Uh-huh. And so a few nights later, um, I walk out to my car and there's like 2000 post-it notes on my car. And one of the posts, some of the post-it notes on the windshield spells out, no, you suck. And I was like, (laughs) he pulls up and he goes, Hey, we're all going over to TGI Fridays to get a drink. Catch up with us when you're done cleaning that off. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He tells me that because where he parked, where we were at at the South Florida fair, it was right across from the um, West Palm beach sheriff's county or county sheriff's um, their little mobile unit. He goes, man, I had other entertainers. I had concessionaires. I had sheriff's deputies that were helping me do this. They, they all saw me doing it and they all, they were like, give me a stack of those. I'll help you out. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) So there's, you know, we get into our prank wars on our side of the aisle and uh, you know, we have, we have our moments and and Tyson's a great guy, great performer. It's always, uh, you know, always good when you get to be with friends like that. So um I just hope the 21 that we start to pull that needle back in our favor, you know, hopefully by the middle of summer and get some events yeah. in by the end of the year, we desperately need it. Well, I'm convinced we will. It, it's going to happen. They, they won't look normal right away, but we got to get the, the log jams got to break. You know, you, yeah. you, uh, you may not have all 55 rides up. You may only have 25 rides up or 20 rides up, but let's get something going and give the, give the people in these communities that we service some hope that we're getting back to normal and give us an opportunity to go run our businesses. Don't you think? Amen. I totally agree. Totally agree. Listen, but Debbie, we're, uh, we're about out of time here. I'm so glad I could get to visit with you and have you on the show. Before we go, everyone who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer answer for each. Sound good? Sounds great. Question number one. When you travel, name one item you absolutely have to have with you. My phone. What is your favorite ride on your midway? The Wave Swinger. Best concert you've ever attended? I am not a concert attender. Do you really not attend concerts? No, I don't. Okay. And I get to go in many for free and I... And you just don't? Uh, no. That's... Okay, we'll take that. Uh, <laughs> when you travel by plane, do you prefer a window seat or aisle seat? Well, I prefer the window, but so does my husband. So I get the aisle. <laughs> so you, what's that? So I get the aisle. <laughs> I told them, no, you get the aisle. 
Yeah. Well, like I said in the beginning, he doesn't take no <laughs> for an take answer. No <laughs> <for> an answer. <laughs> Uh, so you handle some concessions at your uh, on your midway. So here's the thirty million dollar question: Does pineapple belong on pizza? Uh, not in my world, but and I <laughs> love pineapple and I like pizza, but not together. But hey, if your customers want to pay for it, you'll well, sell them whatever they want. Right. Exactly, I will. You are totally right. And last question: If you could be a guest star on any television show, past or present, which show would it be? Law and Order. I like, I think. Which my, one? There's like 35 of yeah, them. Yeah, it, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> I guess the original, I don't care. Yeah. My husband tells me I'd be a really good detective. <laughs> right. I just you, like figuring it out. Oh, so, yeah. I we we were big SVU fans for a long time back when uh, um, Stabler was on the show. And, and yeah. I adore Marishka Hargitay. I think she's just yeah. an incredible actress and human being. So, yeah, I'm dev- I could be down with that. I Of course, my guest spot, I would be the body that they find in the first three minutes. And that'd be my only time in the show. <laughs> who killed me? Yes. Who was From it? Who done it? Yeah. yeah They'd right. be like, all right, here's your first acting gig. Hold still while we get this shot. That'd be That'd it be tough for me. <laughs> I don't hold still too well. Right. Debbie, listen, it's been great having you on the show. If folks want to reach out and get in touch with you, how can they contact you and powers great American midways? Uh, they can go through our website, which is www.powersmidways.com or my email is real easy. Debbie at powersmidways.com. Debbie Powers, we wish you, Corky, and everyone at Powers Great American Midways, a very prosperous 2021. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.